Thank you for listening to our podcast. Want to make one of your own? Try Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. Its creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make in a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. By the way, I just want you both to know, uh, as I have eight seconds, that the reason why socialism would never work in a co- cooperative is because no decision would ever be made. You are listening to the Shimalis. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> just, I mean. just want to drop that in there before we go live. <laughs> Your idea I, I did that on purpose. I did Your that on purpose. I'm sorry. Bye. I'm sorry. All right, now take it away, Kenny. There you go. I'm sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> so you are listening to the Shemalis. This is your comrade, Kareem, and my two comrade hosts, Ismail and Ahmed, where we discuss all things left. Tonight is a special night. Why? It's election night. Ooh. <laughs> and I think, and I think, Joe Biden's losing. No, I don't know. We'll have to see. I think well, it doesn't matter. What everyone here, in. yeah, did not vote for Donald Trump, right? Uh, no comment until I find out the result. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna win so much. <laughs> you're gonna, be, you're gonna be so tired of it. All right, so. Today, tonight, we want to discuss uh, a couple of topics as well as just have a great time making fun of people tweeting and talking about the results as they come in. Um, so what do we guys have for election mania tonight? Uh, well, we have a couple of hot topic issues that uh, could spark some healthy and interesting debate. Uh, one of the things that I think we should uh, jump right into um is as we know everybody there's been this huge campaign to push for the vote uh on the uh in the biden camp uh this has been uh framed as a vote for your life essentially your life depends on it um so the question here is um for people on the left is the question of is voting for third party or not voting at all Um, Is that a vote for Trump or is it a wasted vote or is it complicity with Trump? Um, I think this is something that has been hotly debated many times before. It's been debated during um, Hillary, uh, the Hillary Trump election in 2016. Um, People went so far as to say that Hillary lost the election because of third party votes. Obviously, Mm -hmm. not not based on any um, significant evidence. but, they say that Susan Sarandon swung the election. <laughs> Some B-list actress. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, no, no, I'm joking. Um, but uh, so that's that is that is a legitimate question, uh, and and you know we've all discussed this um, you know amongst each other in the past. What is? Uh, let's start with Ahmed. What is um, the implications of not voting or voting third party? <laughs> 
does it matter which state you're in? So, you know, some people say, okay, if you're in a swing state, you shouldn't really, uh, you should pick one of the two parties. If you're not, and you kind of know where you're, which way your state is going to swing, then maybe, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? You're kind of making a statement there. So what's, what's your take on that? Uh, just, just uh, I mean, you laugh about Susan Sarandon swinging the election, but um, this was a controversy uh, back in the 2016 election. So we saw articles being published uh, all over the internet, on The Guardian, for example, protest all you like, Susan Sarandon. In effect, you work for Trump. That's one title from The Guardian, considered a center-left newspaper or a leftist mm-hmm. newspaper. Um, the Observer, Susan Sarander incites meltdown of Clinton supporters with question about corruption. So, is yeah. there, is there, can you give can you give some context to that? Why was she particularly yeah. blamed uh, for that? Like, uh, you know, we don't, I don't because think I she voted for the Green Party. But did, is it like she did that's, it on her own, or she encouraged she today. encouraged other voters to vote Green Party? Is that why they're particularly going after? No, I mean, but she did say that she would not vote for uh, um, for Clinton. I mean, she she went out and said that I don't vote I don't vote with my vagina, referring to voting right. for Senator Clinton. Uh, I, it's funny that you say that 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 many people attacked her for swaying sort of mm-hmm. swaying the election because yeah. Much like Hillary yeah. Clinton, I think people think that Susan Sarandon has more clout than she actually has. So, <laughs> of course, I mean it's ridiculous. So, um, I don't know, think no, she has much clout, to be honest. I mean, I don't, right? I, don't I mean, I, no offense. Oh, I, I, I voted for Jill Stein because uh, because Susan Sarandon said she voted for Jill Stein. Right. Exactly. Um, so, I, I think that's an important topic because I think this is uh, and this is something I'm personally uh, passionate about because I do take major issue with people um, uh, who. Um, essentially blame third-party voters for not settling for two really bad candidates, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- giving giving me two really bad options and then blaming me for not wanting either one of them um, and kind of pigeonholing me into a, into a two-party system every single time there's an election. And really, I mean, most, uh, many Americans today, I want to say most, but many Americans today don't identify with either party even all not that much at all right so there's i mean people say oh but you know you might identify with more uh, with one than the other or like most of your views might identify but like reality like me personally i don't find myself agreeing with the democrats on most issues i don't find myself uh, agreeing with republicans on most issues um so they're not really my party at all and the assumption that somehow that the democratic party is in your best interest as an individual or as your community and that you should vote for them and stop being so stubborn or, um, you know, self-centered or any of that, I think is um, feeding into this two-party system in which two very powerful parties who don't actually serve the interests of the public can stay in power. Um, again, I'm not saying that voting third party um, in these types of elections makes us such a huge difference, but if more and more people do it, um, if, enough, if third parties get enough votes uh, they get a significant amount of funding. They get um, uh, presence on the debate stage, um, as we saw with Gary Johnson and things like that. Um, so there is some uh, effect. And again, if the the establishment uh, um, politicians see that people are not voting for them despite what's at stake, um, I think they will be... I, I'm not very optimistic about it, um, but they might be swayed to like at least to some degree, move to the left uh, in the direction of where the electorate is kind of expressing their opinions. I'm again I'm not very optimistic that that's the case, and that 
um, was very honestly for me the lost. choice between the two candidates back in 2016 was would you like Brussels sprouts or would you like celery? <laughs> to me, they're both disgusting vegetables, and I hate them both equally. <laughs> so exactly, but that's really what it is. Like you're you're given two really bad options now. With all that being said. Um, I do understand the 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 precedent here, um, in the sense that Donald Trump is as bad as most American presidents are and can be. Donald Trump is is an anomaly in in, in certain ways, um, and I think that if you do, I don't think that I would find it problematic that certain people who really might not want to vote for Biden feel the need to do so um, because of the fact that Trump is pretty much out of control. Um, even to my own surprise, even though I, I had a feeling Trump would want to do a lot of crazy things. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he's done kind of was beyond what I had expected him to do. Not because I didn't think he wasn't capable of it as an individual, but because I actually thought that the establishment or that the institutions of, of, our, of our country would not allow a lot of these things to happen. Um, either because of checks and balances and so on, but but he's not but, doing this alone. I mean, the, well, he is exactly. doing this with the checks and balances, right? They, so, but they and, and so the I think I, I think I over I underestimated um, how much the how the, terrible the, the Republicans are, how much they would fall in line with them, right? Like very much so. Um, and so, but but the thing about the but the thing about that Ismail is that the Republic he's doing everything the Republicans. Yeah, no, but I mean, he, Trump he, does but not he, have an ideology. No, no, he doesn't. But I think that yeah, I think sure. that's also part of the problem is that he really could care less about anything. So he just kind of, um, from his rhetoric to the way he uh, passes certain executive orders to the way he uh, is very callous about. I mean, even something. I mean, we talk about the pandemic. I mean, they have literally just thrown their arms up and just like you know what, let it you know let it be, right? Um, you know, they they literally could care less about any public opinion whatsoever. If their own base is dying from the pandemic from coronavirus, they don't they it wouldn't it wouldn't make them flinch, right? So, um, that all being said, I just want to point out that despite my view on third party voting, I and I I did vote third party in twenty sixteen. Um, I don't in general. I don't believe that that's a wasted vote, and I don't think that's a vote for Trump. And I strongly detest the idea that a vote for a third party is a vote for Trump. Um, and with all that being said, like I said, in this type of election, seeing what Trump has done, if people in swing states have decided to vote for Biden um, as a somewhat better um, temperament than what we have right now, even if it's slightly better, uh, or even if it's just going to bring us back to the pre-Trump levels of our, our of our country, then you know I can I can understand that. Um, but if you're not in a swing state and you want to go vote third party in a state that's that's overwhelmingly going to go for Biden, I say go 100% go and do it. Knock yourself out. I don't see any issue with that. Um, and frankly, I don't see any issue if you did it in a swing state either. I just I'm just saying if you if you decided to go for Biden, I wouldn't find that to be necessarily problematic in this particular case, as bad as Biden might be. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Now, the reason why I disagree with that wholeheartedly is, and again, you have your right to do that. That's fine. But the reason why I disagree with it is because there are real issues that are on the ballot that even though uh, we can talk about broader context, broader ideology that maybe doesn't change much from party to party um, or candidate to candidate, 
there are other implications that happen within these votes that do have broad ranging effects on people. Um, regardless of how you feel about these issues, hot button topics like abortion, gay rights, women's rights, I mean, those are things that will change if a party is elected or not. So even though we're, we're ta- if we're talking about uh, foreign policy, if we're talking about economic policy, sure, taxes can increase or decrease, but overall, everyone has similar, similar ideas. Um, if we're talking about foreign policy, similar ideas. But if you're talking about social issues, they're not so different. Uh, they're not so similar. If we're talking about like um, certain topics, I'm talking about. So abortion, like I said, women's rights. Um, I don't think I don't think a uh, a Muslim ban would have happened under a democratic president. I, I mean, I know we we've we've seen uh, Obama himself ban Syrians. I know he's made things difficult for immigrants. He renewed the Patriot Act. That. Renewed the Patriot Act exactly. I, I completely understand that. The but there's there's uh, to take away your. Um, um, it essentially allows Privacy. them to arrest you without a warrant, yeah. right? Or without any um, due process. So. Sure. Again, that's something that every politician, uh, every president, um, and every uh, party would have done. Um, but not every party and not every politician would have or would set out to reduce individual liberties. Um, so I think that's, I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that I'm kind of most concerned about. And not only just individual liberties, I think another option or the, another issue that, that will be changed um, by voting for one part or the other is the, is the environment, environmental policy. Again, completely understand that, that the democratic platform does not go far enough. I think we probably all agree on that. But incremental change is better than is going it? backwards. I think. I think and, no, but I think. I mean. I mean. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We've talked absolutely about this is. before. I, I think we're far beyond incremental change for climate at this point. I mean, we're, we are heading towards climate it's not, collapse. Um, it's not. It's not about whether or not we're heading towards climate collapse. I'm talking about having policy that goes towards. I mean, but what is this policy? Though? Part I mean, of the I mean, issue. It's either, it's part of the issue is I question. Is I question whether whether the change is. But hold on. Part of the part of the issue that I have with that is is I question whether there is actual incremental change or if we're just being sold the idea that it's incremental change. I mean, even if it's absolutely not 100% necessarily. I mean, we, we look at look at uh, Joe Biden's platform. He's essentially running on the platform of I'm going to bring things back to what it was right before Trump became president. So that's not that's not incremental change that's just bring it back to square one which so, is then which is not enough because and, and that, believe it or not it's the end of 2020 this is not 2008 right this is not 2012 well i'm saying even 2016, 2016 right like when he left it at 2016 yeah that's four years ago all biden is promising is i'm going to bring it back to that which is right which but is the not, climate has has declined yeah and i'm saying it's bad enough that that trump was already president and he's he's ma- made the major setbacks your platform shouldn't just be oh i'll bring it back to what it was i mean if, if, can you imagine if obama ran on the platform of you know uh, uh i'm just going to bring the economy back to what it was before it crashed in 08 and 09 you know like it's that he 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 again for all his flaws he did 
make the economy even stronger than what it was before the collapse. Um, you know, and, and at least he, and if, even if there's debate on that, he, he at least portrayed like an image that he was going to make as much progress as possible. But even Biden, he, it's very lazy. He's just kind of arguing like, hey, I'll just bring it back to what Obama had, 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 left, had left off. And, and that's not incremental change. That's just bringing it back to, to square one, which wasn't that great. I mean, that if, if it's, it's, not, it's not square one, though, because you have to realize that we're, well, we're behind if now. You, if bringing it back to where so it was. Bring it, bring Trump, it back. If, bring that's, it. if that's. Um, uh, but what are you talking about? You, the, the, the thing that he's bringing back to square one is healthcare, And even with that, he's introducing a public option. So it's not square one. It's change. Uh, again, not saying that it's the change that we want. It's not the change that we probably need. But it's change that we wouldn't have under Trump. Yeah, but you, the so, thing people miss is with Trump only point, comes my because point this, Trump only only succeeds because of the failure of the new, the, the democratic establishment. I mean, this is this is this is a thing that this is kind of the circle that we keep going in, and and not just us, but just in general as as a, as a, as a as a country. That conversation we keep having, Trump only Trump only able is able to come into power because of the failure of of the Democratic Party and the and the complicity of the Republican Party. I mean, if the, if the Democratic Party actually showed that they actually bring about significant change, then nobody would even think about Trump. I mean, we're, so many people who, who, are, who typically vote Republican voted for Obama in, in his two presidential terms. Obama won in, in landslides in his two elections, right? Uh, because he, 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 again, not necessarily, he might have not delivered everywhere, but he promised at least really significant change. Revolutionizing healthcare was one of his biggest things on his ticket, right? Um, you know, closing Guantanamo Bay, really drastic things that like, again, a lot of it didn't materialize, but he was saying it and that appealed to a lot of people. When somebody like uh, Hillary Clinton comes and doesn't really have a platform and then you have Joe Biden who's like, we're going to bring it back to what it was pre-Trump. These are not really uh, things that, that's worth, worth admiring or, or looking up to or being optimistic about. I mean, you see how many people in the last two elections, essentially the last two elections, nobody has been enthusiastic Nobody has been more enthusiastic about a candidate than Trump supporters because everybody else is has been has been horrible. Uh, the two most ent- enthusiastic bases that we've seen in the last two elections between 2016 and this year and this election are is, is, is Bernie Sanders's base and Trump's base. And what's the two things that they have in common? They offer drastic change from the current system, right? One again, I'm not saying that they do. You know, Trump is a pathological liar. He doesn't he doesn't do anything. And if anything, he's more of the establishment than, than a lot of the other politicians that are running. But the the point is they offer significant change. And when you bring somebody like Hillary who doesn't have anything to offer, when you bring somebody like Biden who doesn't have anything to offer, you're gonna get somebody like Trump and he's gonna win, right? And this is this is part of the problem. We can't say that the cure that because somebody's gonna cure us from Trump, that we should uh, uh, consider that as change when that same person was the reason why Trump succeeded in the first place. Um, again, I'm not saying that if you're in a swing state, you shouldn't vote for Biden or any, but I can't, I fail to see how um, voting for a third party or voting for your candidate of choice or not voting at all, even in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an established state, uh, whether it's California or New Jersey or New York or wherever else, I fail to see how that would be problematic if you don't vote for Biden. I mean, I'm, 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 I could see it in swing states and I understand. It's not that I don't understand the, 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 the implications of having Trump as president again. Trust me, I do. And I, I do think that a second term would be disastrous, but I'm just trying to see 
So in a swing state, I can understand why people would feel desperate to get him out of office. I'm all for that. I'm okay. I, I want to bring this back. Is why, why, where, why is it an issue if I, for example, in New Jersey decide I'm not voting for, for Biden? Why is that an issue? What is that? That's the point I'm trying to Because I agree with you. So swing state, fine. Vote for Biden. In this, so, in this particular election. If this was like Mitt Romney or McCain, I would say no. Like even in a swing state, right? Like I, I wouldn't, I don't see it as an issue. Right. So over here, we're trying to highlight is voting for Biden. Does does Biden's presidency give us the change that we need? Right. For uh, for the next four years to be considered a step forward in the right direction. And I want to bring this back to the climate issue that we were talking about. Right. So is is Biden's climate plan ambitious enough? Right. To. to tackle the uh, the latest data that we have on climate collapse, all he's going to do is bring us. He's going to rejoin the Paris Agreement. That's what I think. He's right? Is do. this enough? Which so, is only a pledge. It's not. Have really you guys heard of the twenty fifty scenario? No. So the twenty fifty scenario. Um, so basically, the National Center for Climate Restoration in May of twenty nineteen, last year, released a report um, where they argued that climate change represents an existential threat to human civilization. Um, And they're basically saying that to combat this, we need a wartime level of response to be able to combat this. Um, So the 2050 scenario uh, basically says that um, policymakers fail to act sufficiently, right? So this is a, in this scenario, the policymakers that we have fail to act sufficiently um, to reduce global emissions uh, and global emissions do not peak until 2030. Climate feedbacks are triggered, which lead to a global warming of 1.6 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2030 and 3 degrees Celsius by 2050, leading the Earth into a quote-unquote hothouse Earth scenario. So what is this? What, what happens at this point? So the sea levels have increased by 2 to 3 meters by 2100, which an eventual 25 meters of sea level rise have already locked in. Um, What does this mean? It means that some regions on Earth have become unlivable due to the intense heat and lack of adaptive capacity. And around a billion people around the world are displaced, while 2 billion suffer from water shortages. There's not enough food to feed the global population, and many of the world's most populous cities are abandoned due to sea level rises. So how does how does Joe Biden's uh, economic plan help us to mitigate the 2050 scenario, which what it's 2020 now? So this is in 30 is three decades. Right. So within our lifetimes, I mean, from what from what I understand, he he his entire his entire uh, environmental policy. to get to 2050 is to have net zero emissions. Now, to your point, is that enough? Probably not. But that doesn't go to my point. My point is having some level of incremental change is better than four years of another of another step backwards. That like that's I feel like that that argument doesn't really necessarily so you, come back. So I, I'm not. Point. I don't. I don't disagree. My point with is, I don't disagree. It's better to do something. I don't disagree with the point that. That's my that, point. Like you're yeah, right. Does, is, is it far enough? No. But right. is going backwards better? No. So 
th that's kind of my point. It's it's is it is incremental change enough? No, it's not. Of course not. But it's going backwards another four years. Good. Well, nobody here is suggesting that we vote for not. Donald Trump, right? I, I know, I know, but I'm just saying if if we're talking about having is is voting for a third party candidate so think, worth it? And if we're ta we're talking about ex right. so just existential talk crises here. We're not even talking just about we're not even just talking about humanity. We're talking about uh, um, the right. way that our government works, the way that environment, the outlook of our environment in the future, uh, individual liberties. I mean, there's just a lot of things that I feel like. I mean, again, maybe this is just mass hysteria, and and he he really isn't going to do anything, but he can also become more emboldened and not give, and not care even more than he does now. So I mean I, I don't know there's there's like a a, a give and take where I, where I kind of, I'm kind of like well maybe it doesn't matter that much because they're not that different but at the same time it's like well there are certain things that he's doing right now that will erode American establishment even further where maybe the things that you want to get done after four years another four years is 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 so what you're saying is vote for Biden vote for Biden's incremental. Uh, climate policy change and then go out and protest and try and push the Biden administration to enact a more uh, a more progressive or a more um, significant climate policy. Is, is that your position? I, I mean, I mean, that's I would say even stronger than protest. I don't know what what's like, necessarily stronger I mean, than protest other than riots. But I would say I, mean, I would say can, something a lot stronger than protest. Right? To, so strikes, right. massive, so I, like I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. If it yeah. if it I needs to be something and... like that, then yes. But my point is, get someone in there that will actually do something. Right. So I think what Ismael was trying to say is there's no the problem. Biden because right now uh, climate policy is not enough, right? And right. I think you agree with that as well. So there needs to be something to oh, be done yeah. uh, about pushing whichever administration um, takes power next uh, to make a more uh, significant uh, 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 change to policy towards climate change. And, and let me be clear here also that we we're, we're, we're in a very crappy situation where that is the only, this is the only step that we can probably accept, right? We're in a situation now where it is down to Biden or Trump. Um, and we, we obviously don't want Trump. I think we can all agree that Biden is a better option, even if it's slightly better. Um, and you know, if it's if we're talking about uh, um, climate change, I mean, Trump would regress that even more than what it's currently at. Um, he's deregulating uh, all sorts of you know, whether it's um, uh, uh, for you know environmental uh, regulations, he's been deregulating that since since day one, since his first year in office, he's been doing that. Um, so we know that this is this we're. I don't. I don't think it's this is more of a discussion of whether Biden should or shouldn't be president. I think we know that we can all agree that he should probably be president at this point. I think the the only point I'm trying to raise here is that in areas where we can afford to cast a vote for somebody that's not Biden or Trump, um, it it might be it, it I, I I would not hesitate to uh, to do that because again you want to show the um the electorate as well as the the um you know the, the establishment that you do not in fact want biden because 
of the fact that you actually like him, you picked him out of a necessity. And I think it needs to be made clear through votes uh, and then through protests and through shutting down the economy. And I 100% agree with Ahmed that protests are not going to do anything. Peaceful protest um, accomplishes way less than we think it does. It's not as effective as we think it is. And there needs to be a lot more action beside beyond peaceful protest. Peaceful protest is 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 the wet dream of of, of despots and 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 establishments um, as a way they convince us that this is a way to uh, to get things done. And I mean, it's it's peaceful protest. If you're not doing anything to disrupt the order, if you're not doing anything to disrupt the economy, why should they change? Okay, good. You marched in this, in, in in Manhattan for a few hours and you stood in front of the CNN building and, and said, you know, free, free, whatever Palestine and free, whatever, and, and, you know, and climate change or whatever, all that, like, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna change your narrative. CNN's not gonna change your narrative. You know, uh, uh, the government is not gonna change your narrative. You can watch, march down to uh, the White House or Capitol building. It doesn't change anything, right? So I, I'm not saying it's not, it's not effective at all, but it's not as effective as we think it is. Um, and there has to be, and, you know, for me, I, the only protest that I've seen that work are protests that are really overwhelmingly popular and are done on a really large scale. Um, and I'm thinking things like Arab Spring and things like that. And even Arab Spring, you can make a case that, it, that that significantly disrupted order and disrupted the economy. It wasn't just strictly peaceful protests that really changed things. Um, but that- Right, so, I mean, closing so, so, down Tahrir Square, which is a main uh, traffic uh, right. uh, artery of- It's uh, the center of the city, Cairo, the center right? of that district at least. Yeah, right? and a lot of so, people were camping out there. I mean. You know, you had faculty, students. Uh, right, and it's the idea that a lot of people are not at work and they're not, you know, stimulating the economy with their jobs or out in the street. But not to deviate, but I, I, I just to just to make the point that yes, I agree. A lot more than protest is required, especially. I mean, what they were saying that it's seven to eight years before climate change uh, becomes, you know, uh, the effects of climate change become irreversible. So we actually have less time than we even think we do, right? Um, so that, that half of that time is is Biden's presidency. So. The, the, the main thing is, with Biden as president, is that going to get people to kind of go back on their heels and, and kind of relax and take a, a, a sigh, you know, have a sigh of relief and, and say, this is it, we're good, you know, take it easy? Or are they actually going to hold Biden accountable for, for his policies? Because we keep hearing this, no, get him in office and then we'll hold him accountable. But I don't, I don't believe most people who say that. They're, they're not, I don't know that they're actually going to hold Biden accountable. I don't know that they're going to be as... Um, uh, uh, passionate about calling him out, um, and and I already hear the excuses now. And and mark my words, when you when you hear it during Biden's presidency, if he becomes president, you will always you will hear this excuse from people: don't uh, don't don't be so hard on him because then you know a Republican will come and take his place if he becomes overwhelmingly unpopular because people are trashing him all the time. That's what that's what you're gonna hear. This is what people We're are already calling him a socialist. I mean, this my point, but matter. my point is like people will t people will tell you don't don't. But that's that's what yeah, people will tell you. This is what people, man. neoliberals. Like, people, I don't I already think, hear. I think. Heard it before. I don't. That's I don't think saying. so, man. I, no, I, I, right. I mean, a lot of people are we'll, on Twitter and, and in the media are basically saying, "Oh, yeah, don't like, don't talk about the Hunter Biden." Uh, I literally had somebody. I have a, a again. This is, this is more anecdotal. It's a non-issue, though. That's a non-issue. I mean, the I'm Hunter just, Biden issue is, yeah. is a joke. I mean, my point. My bigger point is, I've literally seen people. I'm not saying this is the majority. There's based on statistical evidence, but I'm saying this is an excuse that you'll hear people say. I've had somebody on on uh, uh, you know a Facebook friend who and he's he posted this last election. He posted again this election, and he says, "Oh, you know, our goal is to get the, uh, Trump, Donald Trump out of office." So I I believe that everybody should hold their criticism of Hillary or or Biden, depending on which year he posted this, uh, of, of Hillary or Biden until after November 3rd. So on November 4th, you could start criticizing 
uh, said Hillary or 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 Biden, which is a, a like a really dumb way to look at things, right? Oh no, you're gonna uh, you have you have all these we know you have all these issues, but don't say anything until the day after he gets in office or she gets in office. So. I mean, I mean, but that's but that's a I mean, that's, a, that's, a, big that's big a sentiment that people. I don't know why that's why you're making a big deal about that. Because the the idea is that. But what's wrong with that? It's going to end up happening where they're going to always have an excuse for why you shouldn't quit after they get elected. It's going to be like, oh, but if you keep doing that, they're going to get removed from office if they try to run for a second term. If you do that, it's going to be uh, the Republican who's going to win the. No, no. I mean, this uh, is, see, this is... see, this is. See, but this this is this is a thing though because we 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 bash Democrats when they don't stand together. But when they say, "Hey, let's stand together," we bash them again. There has to be some level of uh, of. There they can't be they a only stand together when it's against here. the interests. So you can't of, have of, it of their, of where their they should. They should be they standing together, together here. That actually benefits their constituents. The Democrats. I mean, we just we, we just talked about Joe Biden being um, this is, better he, for the constituents he, he, than not. That, so I mean, that's no, no, that's that, in the benefit no. of his constitu- of the constituency. I mean, my, my point my point is my point is. We ask the Democrats to be more like Republicans. That is a Demo- that is a Republican move. That is a Republican move. Basically saying don't don't say anything bad about about our guy right. is a Republican thing, hundred percent. You don't hear any Democrats say anything bad except Mitt Romney, and even that is very is very soft and subtle. It, the only other guy right. was John McCain, and he passed away. So that's a Republican move. So when they start doing Republican moves, and people start bashing them. I mean, I mean, this this is this could just be an issue of of the electorate of each each party's electorate. Democrats have have usually more educated, smarter people, and the Republicans don't. So it's it's easier to to get in line with a Republican talking point than it is a Democratic talking point. I mean, th- there are a lot of things that influence this this. But my point, I guess, sorry to interrupt, but my point was to kind of kind of say. Like that that is a Republican thing, a very Republican thing to say don't bash my guy until we until we win and then we can figure it out. That's very Republican. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, personally. In a political landscape. If you're talking about it on like an individual level, of course. Discuss that. But I guess my point is like if you're talking about it so that you make you make the you make the other the other side job easier. I, I don't know if that's necessarily I think it, the it, best it, strategy. It ends up I, I don't know. That's my opinion in, on it. In perpetuity, right? So, like, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be the problem with this mentality is that it, you end up being in a situation where it's never a right time to criticize your candidate, even after they become president, even after if, when they're running for re-election. Yeah, I mean, they said that during the primary, remember? Right. Which yeah. is like the primary is like the correct time to be right. and highlighting so the difference. That's that's my issue with it. If, if it was just about oh, hold off your criticism until we beat this guy, fine, I, I can I can get with that, but. If it's, but it's it's gonna end up being into his presidency, and it's gonna be into uh, his his reelection if he decides to run for reelection. If it's not for his reelection, it's gonna pour into whoever's take, trying to take his spot, right? Um, so there's this sentiment that essentially your the candidate should not be criticized. And again, with Hillary, it was even taken to the next level where if you do criticize her, it's because you're sexist, right? So. This is this is kind of the the uh, tactics that that are uh, deployed by uh, you know passionate enthusiastic supporters of the Democratic Party to basically stifle any legitimate criticism from the left um, about the horrible policies that they that they implement. Um, right. So I think that's that's where I take a problem, take an issue with that. So 
I, I just wanted to highlight that because it is it is a, uh, a serious issue. Um, I do think that there will be if Biden wins tonight or whenever he wins, if he wins, that uh, there are going to be a lot of um, uh, Democratic supporters who are going to tell you, you know, even after the election, oh, this is not the time for it. We need, we need to heal as a country. That's what they're going to. We need to heal. This is not the time for it. We need to heal. We're still healing. I mean, that, but that's, I'm saying that's, that's such fine. a stage. I mean, they can for, say whatever they want. Uh, I mean, so I think I think who's going to come again? Who's going to be just as bad as Joe Biden? And then you're going to have that issue with climate change, where oh, we joined the Paris Accord. The Paris Accord is just a pledge. There's no commitments from the Paris Accord. They don't have to do anything for the Paris Accord, right? And that was really the highlight of, of and it was such a uh, big landmark uh, deal. And it and it was in in certain ways, but it wasn't in many other ways. In that, a lot of countries who joined the Paris Accord are not bound by any um, real obligation to do anything. Um, and that's Honestly, so it's easy. laughable to me. So I mean, they're calling... That's why it's so easy for Donald Trump to pull the U.S. out of it. And that's the right. thing about the U.S. and most international bodies, right, is that the U.S. can essentially um, pull, pull out of most of these organizations. I mean, he pulled out of the, the World Health Organization. He's going to remove funding. He uh, stopped funding for um, UNICEF, which is there, you know, gives a, a ton of money for uh, Palestinian refugees around the world. Um, so these are these are things that he just like that was like all right we're not doing it anymore and this is this is how the U.S. Um, portrays this image that they're actually doing something but they're also one of the only countries who always has the caveat of having the option of pulling out and not participating whenever they want. Um, a lot of the other countries don't have that same uh, option for a lot of these bodies that they're involved in, especially UN UN related bodies. The U.S. basically strong arms the UN into giving them the caveat of doing whatever they want, leaving whenever they want, stopping funding whenever they want, that other countries don't have the similar option to do. And so what does that do? It allows the US to portray the image of being a savior of the world while not actually making any significant commitments and can pull out of the right. commitments whenever they want. To add to what Ismail was saying uh, about the Paris Accords. So, you know, the media is describing uh, and the Democrats are describing Biden's uh, climate policy as the green revolution, right? Biden's green revolution. Um, but it's, it's laughable because, uh, you know, several of Biden's informal advisor advisors on energy policy are veterans of the Obama administration. And these, uh, advisors, um, were part of the, uh, the group that embraced fossil fuel development and pushed fracking. Um, so a number of these individuals, uh, oversaw the BP oil spill, uh, that happened during the Obama administration. Uh, the violent ref repression of the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. Um, and uh, many of them have went on to work for oil and gas companies or law firms uh, that work with the uh, energy industry after they left the administration. Um, so you have a number of figures. Uh, for example, Heather, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, Zeichel, Zeichel. Um, so she's one of the informal advisors for the Biden team on climate. Um, and during her tenure, um, she worked closely with industry executives to streamline federal regulations on fracking. Um, she's met more than 20 times with industry groups and lobbyists in 2012. Um, immediately after leaving the Obama White House, she joined the fossil fuel industry uh, the fossil fuel industry and accepted a lucrative position position on the board of Chenier, one of the largest natural gas companies in the country. We have uh, Jason Bordoff, who served as the climate advisor to the National Security Council um, and the Council on Environmental Quality under the Obama administration. 
and he's a formal advisor to the Biden campaign on energy and climate issues. Um, Bordoff has argued in favor of increased natural gas exports and fracking. Um, immediately after leaving the Obama administration, Bordoff founded the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University, which is um, it's a center that produces reports that coincidentally lend support to industry talking points, such as advocating for privatizing Mexico's energy sector and expanding fracking efforts in China. Um, Bordoff also argued in favor of lifting the ban on crude oil exports in the U.S., a paper that has been widely cited by the oil and gas industry as well as Republican legislators. Um, yeah, and then, you know, more on his institute that he founded, the Center on Global Energy Policy. Um, huge oil gas companies, including BP, Chaunier, ExxonMobil, and Chevron have opened their checkbooks to support CGEP's research, which Bordoff, quote unquote, says, draws out all arguments on both sides. Sorry, he doesn't say that. But it draws out all arguments on both sides of the environmental debate. Right? So that's what they're claiming the center does. But in, in effect, they're basically um, arguing for uh, um, the fracking and, and, uh, and natural gas industry. Um, we have another uh, figure, Ernest Moniz, who's Obama's Secretary of Energy. He also joined the Biden team as an informal advisor. Um, he was a vocal advocate for fracking in the natural gas industry. Um, his speeches are recorded. We can, you know, you can look this up on the internet. Um, and you'll notice that in his speeches, he only ever calls for a low carbon future, not a zero carbon future. Um, he also has a personal stake in the carbon economy. So Monez currently sits on the board of Southern Company, the Atlanta-based natural gas utility, and he's called its CEO, Tom Fanning, a quote-unquote industry leader. So, yeah, I mean, the Biden, the Biden uh, team says that they are for taking us back into the Paris Accords, but what does that really mean when most of his energy advisors on the campaign are basically people that are uh, in bed with the fracking and natural gas and oil industry. Um, and this I is all this is all from towards... the great reporting uh, that was done by the Intercept. Yeah, no, I it's mean, not surprising. I'm not surprised by any of, of that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean that's that's to be expected. I mean, that's the reason why they wouldn't ban fracking tomorrow and they would ease mm -hmm. fracking out. I mean, that's, I mean, that's fine. Not fine in terms of the environment, but that's fine in terms of, um, unfortunately, that's kind of how politics works in this country. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know how meaningful his, uh, his climate change policy will be, but, uh, what we know for sure is we, we do need to push, uh, whichever administration um, ends up winning the election, um, we need to push them left on climate policy because, you know, we, what was it? Eight years, Ismail, or four years? For what? For, uh, for the climate change to be irreversible. I think it was seven, or seven to eight years. Seven to eight years, yeah. yeah. So basically, I mean, whichever administration takes office next, this will be half of the time that we have left, right? I mean... I mean, let's be honest, that seven to eight years is 
is wrong. It's climate change is already irreversible. There's there right. are effects in climate change now that we will never get back. the The amount of the amount of uh, flora that has absolutely collapsed, just entire species going extinct. Uh, not just in the rainforest, but in the coral reefs. Um, not to mention just the fauna that we see every day. I mean, there's, there's just absolutely um, a, a collapse on such a grand scale um, that we will never see on Earth right. that we saw yesterday. Even, I mean, I think, I think there 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 are so many species so that, going extinct so yeah, every day that, it's, that. It's, so eight it's years mind boggling. To but a one point five um, degrees Celsius warming, right? Yeah. Oh, the degrees. Okay, yeah. okay, that's the reason. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, and, and... but yeah, I mean, there are things that we'll never get back, unfortunately. Um, even even within our, even within our lifetimes, I don't know if you guys, I mean, from what it, how how it was when we were younger till now, I mean, things have drastically changed. Oh yeah, uh, springs mm-hmm. and 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 fall has drastically changed. Winter has winter has. It's not, Ismail and I live in the Northeast. We didn't, I mean, we didn't really have a snowfall. There wasn't last really winter. We had a, much we had snow like one dust last winter. <clears throat> we didn't have any. Yeah, yeah, we had like and one. The, even the year, and I think that was in November. And then the year before that too, we also had like one I think it was November or December, and then nothing. And so last two so, years, maybe even more. Yeah, and and that's not and that's not typical for right. the Northeast. When right. we were growing up, it was. I mean, New England has had December, snow in the last couple of weeks. All of too. all of January, and also, and, and then it's just uh, not even November. Well, and on the, exactly. on the flip, Chicago on the flip as well, side as well, since our summers here are significantly warmer. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times actually, uh, yeah, the New, yeah, exactly. The New York Times yep. actually did, uh, and and I and probably, more humid. Uh, find it, it yeah. to you guys just for your own reference. But the New York Times has some kind of article where you can basically plug in your uh, zip code and just pick any year, and it'll tell you like what the average, what the temperatures were that year, and compared to where where it is now. And I I did it for our like here and and where we live. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at like 10, 15 degrees difference of how the midsummer days were back when we were younger, like 20 years ago, um, to uh, to what it is now. I mean, you're talking about like here, yeah. you get, uh, on, a, on a peak summer day, it could be up to like 99, 100 degrees. Whereas back when we were younger, it was like 85, 90, right? Um, but over here, you're looking at almost as high as, uh, you know, almost 100 degrees on, on, on the hottest of summer days. And it could last for, a whole week in that temperature range so yeah we, we just see and and that's kind of that's kind of the the one of the the right. main signs of climate change is the extreme weather it's not it's not it's not even that um, i think it's extreme in either direction it's supposed to be warm all year round i think that's i think like it's extreme in e- i think it's extreme in at either least, direction I, right? I, at least i hope it's not i, I mean it yeah. shouldn't be a misconception anymore but uh yeah yeah exactly Which is why they i think they also winters say are that colder and, and summers are hotter climate change um, and not global warming because global warming, I mean, even though probably there is some, you know, wisdom yeah, behind why it's called global yeah. warming because overall that, that might be what's happening. Um, but people obviously, especially again, because here in the U S every, every form of science is politicized. Um, <laughs> it, it made issues about, Oh, it's global warming, but uh, it snowed and here's a snowball. Right. So <laughs> Right. right. I mean, that's, that's the difference so between like, okay, weather change, and climate. Right. climate I mean, changing. that's <laughs> again, that's like 
<laughs> should we should we no, no, should we so start getting into American at, education we're system? We're staring now? at climate collapse, <laughs> right? We're staring at the possible extinction of the human race, right? Maybe not in our lifetimes, but in a few lifetimes from now. Right. So, yeah. what is what is the problem? Why why do we have these two terrible options every four years, right? That do not provide radical solutions to uh, to you know tackle climate, to tackle the issues that are faced by the American working class uh, and the American public. I mean, I think we know that. I, I think we know the reasons. I mean, having a purely market-based solution is not the answer. I mean, I think, I think that's something that's becoming more and more apparent as we go along. There needs to be, uh, there needs to be, but we're not even discussing, I mean, there are no government intervention we're not even discussing guidance. market solutions. We're um, talking about, you know, we, we both, we've, we've all been, I mean, there are solutions that America is a democracy, right? There but are we're absolutely not seeing, solutions. We're seeing that the majority of Americans want socialized healthcare. The majority of Americans want um, want some action on climate, right? Uh, but we are not seeing this translated into policy. So what is the problem with, is the US a democracy or is it not a democracy? Why is my vote not being heard, right? So we have a recent study uh, by Princeton University's professor Martin Gillens um, and Northwestern University professor Benjamin Page. Um, and basically what they found was this. Through a multivariate analysis, um, economic elites, they found that economic elites and organized groups representing business interests have substantial independent impacts on U.S. government policy, while average citizens and mass-based interest groups have little to no independent influence on policy. What does this mean? In English, basically, it means that the wealthy uh, are the ones that are moving public policy in the U.S., while the average American has little to no power. Right? Why? So why, why is this the case? Why, why did... Um, why did the last two elections, right? Basically every election since, um, sorry, not every election, but every Republican was won an election since 2000, right? Since the start of this century has won the electoral college, but not the popular vote, right? So what is happening here? Are, are we a democracy or are we not a democracy? Does the average citizen do we have a direct democracy where the average citizen uh, and the public uh, votes for the president or are, are there other uh, powers that are uh, influencing the outcome of elections and policy being implemented in the United States? So I'd like both of you guys to, to get in on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this. Yeah, I think, so let's discuss I think the first point. Is the U.S. a democracy? These are really Short good answer, questions. No. Yeah. Um, what is it? It's an oligarchy, uh, uh, in the sense that. What is an oligarchy? Um, it's it's a system or a country that's primarily governed by governed by uh, the elites of the society, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. we. 
you know, again, I think it also it's uh, we should really define what constitutes a democracy, right? Because right. I think I think yeah. people also people also uh, I think there's this yeah we vote. So yeah. is it a democracy? Uh, let's mean, uh, let's pull up a definition vote. from yeah. the Marine Webster dictionary. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. democracy. What is a democracy? A democracy is a government is government by the people, right? Which I think is the the translation right. of the word in Greek, right? right? So a government in which the supreme power is vested in the people and exercised by them directly or indirectly through a system of representation, usually involving uh, elections, free elections that are held periodically. Right. So the U.S. is definitely not a direct democracy, right? It's yeah. not one person, one vote. We have a number of swing states that, you know, where where your vote where your vote counts more than, you know, safer states like California, which is usually blue or New Jersey, right. which is usually blue, um, New York. And you have uh, safe red states like Alabama, Mississippi. I mean, it's hardly uh, democracy even by electoral representation, because like you said, like there's always these states that are basically safe. And again, that's not to say that it's, it's not a democracy because certain places will always vote a certain way. Mm-hmm. But the fact that even all the conversation around elections here in the United States always revolves around um, swing states, um, all the campaigning that presidents do will be, I mean, you'll have um, you know, passionate supporters of a candidate who will never have the candidate visit their state because he already has that state in the bag, right? Um, you know, I don't, I almost never see um, national conversation about how New Jersey is going to vote, right? Um, you know, because that's kind of a given, right? I mean, we, we see in almost every election, 60, 65% vote Democrat. So there's almost no uh, conversation on that. So I think the fact that even the national conversation um, or national discourse, as well as the way candidates and presidents, incumbent presidents who run for re-election, conduct their campaigns shows that there's only a certain segment of American society that really matters, and that's in certain states. You know, Florida is is a huge one. Ohio is another big one. Pennsylvania. The, the so it's really a democracy for those people, and maybe even you can make a make a case that it's a it's a it's a popular democracy in those areas because again, it does come down to individual votes in those particular states. But, right. um, but outside of that, as, as a national entity, no, I don't think we are, we're a democracy. And again, um, you see how, again, going back to the idea of an oligarchy, you see how the two-party uh, you know, system kind of, because corporations have, have them in their pocket, um, kind of shun out any kind of competition that does not involve cooperating with uh, major corporations, you know, such as Bernie Sanders or Joe Stein or any of those people. Um, but to the point, voting simply by, because you vote, um, no, I don't think that automatically makes you a democracy. People vote in Egypt, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, so it doesn't really mean much that, that just because you vote. And again, people will say, obviously, that, that there's, a, there's a difference. I'm not saying voting here is the same as voting in Egypt. I hear presidents but, in Egypt win like 95% of the vote. I mean, they're really popular there. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's only natural. Uh, we, we just have better presidents. That's all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> so. uh, but, uh, um, no, I mean, it, it, I think... Um, Again, the other thing that also I think makes it a non-democracy, and this is a really big one that people 
really overlook um, is the concept of endorsements, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we talk, there's always this, I mean, you look at Facebook, how they uh, mark RT as, um, you know, Russian state, you know, uh, media organization, all that. And they want, they have to like highlight, this is a, a state owned media. And, you know, we look at, um, I mean, how does, how does YouTube uh, label it? Facebook does. I don't know about YouTube. No, YouTube labels all these. Uh, oh, but anyway, YouTube yeah, channels, right. So, so for example, for uh, for RT, um, uh, you continue while I pull this. Yeah. Up. So they'll they'll you know they'll they'll label um, uh, RT, uh, Redfish, and those kinds of things as Russian owned own media. That we know we always talk about how even in the Middle East, a lot of these countries, um, they'll have these state-owned media agencies that do their bidding for them. Um, Right. So, but then when we, and then we look at here in the U S and we're like, Oh, uh, the press here is free. It's impartial. But in the primaries, the New York times went and endorsed Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. So how am I supposed to expect the New York times to give an impartial uh, coverage of any of the other candidates that are not Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar? Do I, and how am I also supposed to expect them to criticize um, you know, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. The thing that, one of the issues that I've, that I've consistently highlighted um, in many conversations when it comes to U.S. politics is we do a good job of rephrasing and restructuring the way we do things that pretty much dictators do overseas. So yeah, maybe the U.S. government doesn't own the New York Times, but we, we set a precedent that media organizations have to endorse somebody. So that's in a way setting the narrative if you're if you're if you're endorsing a candidate you're setting the narrative you're you're basically going to say okay i just endorsed this candidate so now you know from now on until the election i'm not going to say anything bad about this candidate and i'm just going to crap on anybody who's running against him or her. Uh, that's that that that's kind of akin to state-owned media um all right so so th th these are all things that um uh, really need to be highlighted as anti-democratic and just because we frame it a certain way. Um, and we've seen that throughout the Democratic primary election, the, the entire time, the, uh, the mainstream media was pushing uh, Joe Biden uh, and Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders. Right. right? So Bernie Sanders got very few positive uh, coverage in the press. Um, and, you, and, you know, on the other hand, there was glowing coverage of Elizabeth Warren. Right. So... Yeah, I mean the, the media definitely is has a has a huge role to play um, in popular sentiment. Um, yeah, and, to and I think the problem is also that they people don't see that as an abnormality, right? The, when 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 the New York Times endorses somebody, or when Fox News endorses their candidate or anything, people actually cheer for that. They're like, oh, great, they got a New York Times endorsement. This is big. Washington Post endorsement. But this is actually problematic. Like, you know, I, I I look at. You know, I take take somebody like Al Jazeera. They they're owned by by their government, but I find them honestly, even though they're directly owned by their government, I find them to be more impartial, and they even criticize their government more than uh, the New York Times uh, criticizes uh, their own candidates sometimes. So, um, just you know, I'm not advocating that that media agencies or media organizations be owned by uh, government agencies. I don't think it's ever a good idea necessarily, but. Um, I think it's also an issue that people don't find it problematic that um, media organization endorsements of candidates uh, cannot be a conflict of interest. 
Um, it's also the same as when Jeff Bezos owns Washington Post through a, you know, uh, you know, through Amazon. Um, this is also a huge problem. How are you expecting Washington Post to properly cover um, the issues that uh, Amazon has and the mistreatment of workers and the exploitation of workers if uh, if they're owned by the organization that is employing those workers, right? Right. So it's a, a lot of left media outlets on YouTube have been reporting that their videos have uh, been um, uh, have been demoted by the uh, the YouTube search algorithm, right? So when you search for a political issue, the first things that come up are MSNBC, CNN, right? The usual suspects that are considered as uh, orthodoxy by uh, these private corporations, right? right. And uh, the, other, the other issue um, that you'll see with uh, how YouTube, for example, um, will label media. So if you look at a video that is published by the RT uh, channel on YouTube. Um, it has a small um, notice underneath the video that says RT is funded in whole or in part by the Russian government. Right. Now, what does that mean, right? Is, is Russia not a democracy? Do they not have elections? Maybe, I mean, we can argue the quality uh, uh, of their elections, but uh, in contrast, if you go to the BBC channel, it says, BBC is a British public yes. broadcast service. I wanted to highlight that too. Actually, I was going to mention that that BBC is also public is you know it's essentially government owned. Um, right. And there's and I actually checked yep. on Facebook because I remember when this happened when they kept labeling all these Russian owned things as Russian as Russian owned media. I was like, well, isn't the BBC owned by the, their respective government and so on? And and I did. I looked it up. It's basically public broadcasting, and there's nothing about it. Right. There's nothing about. Uh, labeling it on Facebook or any social media, and again, it goes to show the uh, the the uh, kind of influence that private organizations have on the narrative. Uh, right, of the, and know, then you go to C uh, CNN, for example, and there is no uh, there's nothing underneath the video that says anything about the funding or the ownership of CNN. Who owns CNN? Is CNN a public, publicly funded uh, news corporation in the U.S. or is it privately owned? Do they have an agenda or do they not have an agenda? YouTube doesn't tell us anything about it because CNN is considered orthodoxy, right? right? MSNBC as well. If you go to the MSNBC page on YouTube, it doesn't say anything about them or their funding. Well, I think the idea is there when YouTube and Facebook did this, and I'm not justifying this, but I'm just saying that's what their, mm -hmm. their thought process was. Their thought process right. was if it's government owned, it's going to have government bias and it's going to it's going to parrot the narrative of the government. And so we should tell people that this is government owned so that when they read it, they take it with a grain of salt and basically understand that this is. But it doesn't say that for the BBC. Right. And that's my issue is that they didn't do right. that. It was right. So it was only for countries. And it's that, not just the BBC. It doesn't say that for, um, for DW. Right. Right. Which is a German right. uh, uh, broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it doesn't even say for Al Jazeera. Well, but, then you could say the same thing for NPR um, as well. But, it doesn't? No, but, no, I don't think so. Last I checked, we didn't. NPR definitely, it doesn't say anything about it. Well, yeah, um, but I mean, I think it goes to show that there was a very specific intent in doing that. Right. And again, if you know- No, it yeah. says Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera is funded in whole or in part oh, by the okay. Qatari government. Yeah, so there, uh, even then it still submit, uh, supports my point that there's a very specific intent that certain media organizations are not to be trusted because they don't serve a particular agenda for uh, you know, the American public. Right. So I think that's the-, the so with all that being said, I think these are all, uh, again, I'm not saying that the U.S. Is, has no um, aspects of democracy at all. That's not what I'm saying. But also, I don't think 
when people say that uh, the president of the U.S. is the leader of the free world. Not necessarily. When the when we, people say that the U.S. is the freest country in the world, again, not necessarily. Um, there's a lot a lot of other countries that have uh, you know more freedoms than the U.S. has. Um, and in, yes, in many ways, there are certain freedoms. Uh, a lot of freedoms are afforded to us that we don't get in most places around the world. But to say that we're the freest country, or to say that um, that you know the president of the U.S. is the leader of the free world, he's maybe the most powerful leader in the so-called free world. He's not the leader of the free world in the sense that um, now people people in Europe, people in other free countries don't necessarily look up to uh, the president of the U.S. And in fact, if anything, there's uh, a very negative sentiment uh, overseas, especially in, in, in this recent generation, the recent decades towards the U.S., um, uh, whether it's President Obama or Bush or Trump, particularly under Bush and Trump, uh, there's been a lot of negative attitude towards the U.S., so I don't think really anybody looks at the U.S. as leader. People in Germany think that their freedom is better and more valuable. Right. They think that they have they have multiple parties and they know. have a, a parliamentary system. And they and they look um, and when we say that they look know, at our one person, one vote. right and they, and when they and when we say this and then they look at how our healthcare is and they say that they look they see that the average person has to pay a thousand dollars or even thousands of dollars for uh, a trip to the ER because you know. You, uh, you know, your wife, or, or if you're a woman, you gave you gave birth to a child, and now you have a bill of thousands of dollars in addition to the child that you have to worry about, or just because you went to an ER visit for anything really, or just because you went to a doctor's appointment, you have this copay. They laugh at these. They say, "Oh, you're you're the freest country in the world again." And this is also another co- concept that I want to challenge: is the idea that we have um, basically unlimited freedom. Yes, we have certain freedoms. We can speak speak our minds for the most part. We can. Uh, right, how whatever we want, we have the right to assembly, right to protest, right to bear arms, all these things. However valuable or however much that means, but there's also a lot of things that limit our freedom in other ways. You know, we have we don't have financial freedom because of the crippling debt of student loan and healthcare bills. Um, you know, we don't have um, uh, a, a lot of social liberties per se, right? Even, um, you know, again, when it comes to uh, limitations on abortion or gay rights or things like that. These, not all the states, again, a lot of these things are state by state and not all the states agree. And so some states have stronger restrictions on these. And so, you know, between educational access uh, for, for those who can't afford it. So we don't have freedom of education because there's a lot of places who don't have access to good education. Everybody would say, oh, public school is free everywhere. But yeah, public school is free. But also if you live in a bad neighborhood, um, your public school quality is not going to be that great. You don't get funding. Um, so these, these are all things that limit our freedoms. And again, it's, this is the, the, the art that the U.S. has refined in basically portraying things to be um, democratic or a, 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 an aspect of freedom, when in reality, it's just done in a much more polished way. Uh, again, dictators could care less about their image, right? They're dictators. They have absolute control. So they don't care if, you, if they throw you in prison for saying something wrong, and then you say this is not a free country. It would be like, oh, okay, cool. What are you going to do about it? Come here, and I'll show you what I can do about it, right? So like, but in the U.S., because they portray themselves as a free country and a land of opportunity and all that, they have to kind of, you know, finesse the way that they limit um, uh, certain types of speech, limit certain types of uh, access to education, limit certain types of financial freedom, and they have to kind of um, operate a system where people think they're free, but in reality are not because they're um, uh, shackled by uh, huge debts and, and medical issues and uh, living in neighborhoods where education is not easily and readily accessible, food deserts where healthy food is not uh, is not available or it's not affordable. Um, you know, again, people 
in Germany and France and UK and all these places, they look and they laugh when we say we're, we're, we're a free country and we're the leader of a free world because they, right. they don't have to pay a penny for their healthcare business. They don't have student debt and their education quality is not significantly worse than ours because they have, uh, because they didn't pay for it. This is, a, this is again, a, a misconception that, that people have to wait forever for an appointment. Again, this is a misconception that has been dispelled that people don't have to wait for, for urgent, serious situations. You're not waiting months to get into an ER. You're not waiting, you're, you might be waiting months for something small that's not that important, that's not time sensitive if, if it's a medical issue. Yes, this is one of the things that we've heard about in, in certain socialist, uh, uh, more socialist leading countries. But then again, in the US, I mean, I've, I've had experience in healthcare myself where I've worked in healthcare, uh, you know, uh, my wife works in healthcare. We know a lot of people around us that work in healthcare. And they'll tell you, patients will wait two, three months to get an appointment. And this is under a capitalist society, right? Because their, their, their schedules are so booked. So it's not that we're, we're here, like every patient, every person in America gets to see somebody right away. No, that's not the case either. So, but, and then on top of that, we're still paying for it. So say my company supposedly has great healthcare but I've been waiting for two weeks now to get an appointment to see a physical. And you therapist. probably do have good healthcare compared to compared to most Americans. Yeah. But the, but the idea but that that's even a, the that's the bar is 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 and again it's inaccurate right. that to say that like you know you you would have to wait longer in a, in a socialized uh, med- medical system. Right? Again, you're being given the perception that you're free, right? That you have certain right. freedoms, but if you lose your job. You won't survive because there's no universal basic income that'll keep you on your feet. Right. You, and, you don't have health and is the American is the American dream a reality? No, it's the biggest scam ever, country, especially when, in recent history. If you leave your job because you have a great business idea and you want to start a business, you end up losing health care. Right. Are you really going to want to leave your job to, to pursue that idea that you have if you're not going to if you're not going to have health care anymore? Right. If you have to buy health care off of the private market right no i don't i don't agree i don't think so you know I, or well, or does canada have a better quote-unquote american dream right since you do have everyone is covered by universal health care right everyone gets a medical card you can go to the doctor show them your card and you'll get you'll get the medical medical care that you need without having to pay any premiums you're not going to pay a copay, right you go in get checked Finish your appointment, walk out, right. done, right. right? And it's paid through your taxes, through your income tax, the payroll tax. So I think the, the, uh, the other, I mean, the issue that we saw was uh, last year when, when uh, you know, these international observers um, claimed that there was evidence of election fraud in Bolivia, right? Um, and so you've had BBC and MSNBC and CNN and all of the usual suspects um, talking about uh, evidence of election fraud in Bolivia. Um, and then Morales is basically forced out of power by um, a coup. And we see the, the Christian um, right in Bolivia taking power and, 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 you know, we see footage of them brutalizing native uh, protesters. And it's important to understand that Bolivia uh, and, uh, and Evo Morales' party, um, it was the first, Evo Morales was the first 
government in Bolivia to rule from a native uh, a native background, right? So he wasn't right. he wasn't a a white um, European descendant, um, and he came from the working class. So he didn't he didn't go to a fancy school. He didn't have uh, a PhD or a master's, right? He came from the grassroots from the Socialist Party in Bolivia. And then fast forward to, uh, you know, last this past summer of 2020. um, And we get a report from the Center for Economic, uh, Economic and Policy Research titled No Evidence That Bolivian Election Results Were Affected by Irregularities or Fraud, Statistical Analysis Shows. Now, of course, it's too late because Morales has been already forced out of the country by a coup and a a right-wing junta had basically taken over the country that has not been elected, right? Right. And we saw um, countless Republican and Democratic um, senators come out and basically support the the people who took power. Now, how does this compare with what happened in 2016 – uh, uh, the 2016 U.S. election, right, where um, Hillary Clinton loses the popular vote to Donald J. Trump. How did Donald Trump make it into the White House, even though he lost the uh, the popular vote? So I think this opens another can of worms because, you know, imagine. Venezuela or Bolivia now saying, oh, well, the U.S. has some irregularities in their election. Why don't we go in and support uh, the other party, right, and declare that the U.S., uh, uh, that, that, you know, the Republicans have been cheating, right? And then they can go in and uh, basically support a coup, which is essentially what you know, the United States has been doing in South America and all over the place in Asia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No shortage of examples. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I think, I mean, I don't think we have to wait for, no, they're not, Bolivia they're not to say the whether or not, not the Republicans the are cheating. College. I think the Democrats I mean, say that themselves. Trump did win the electoral um, college, right? So it's not like, Oh, I mean, I think they are or now getting rid of it. I, yeah, I mean, getting rid of it. I mean, I think, I think, I think there needs to be major reform to electoral college. Um, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would personally uh, agree with the abolishment of electoral college. I think so the, makes the sense reason make why sense? it was set up still makes oh. sense to this day. Um, but maybe fa- mm-hmm. I think it does. I mean. Having having a majority rule democratic vote only essentially ostracizes everywhere except the coast. Um, and what does that mean for the people within within the middle of America? I mean, I think when when you talk about the electoral college, it, it gives them a voice that they normally probably wouldn't have in a pure so? populist vote. Um, yes, it is. I think it is fair. I mean, it's fair because they're people. I mean, there's still humanity. I mean, there's still, uh, do, should they have the level of, um, should, should, should the balance of power be so uh, lopsided or, or so uh, incongruent with, with the popular but vote? But why does no, their vote I would have agree with carry, you there. It shouldn't uh, be. Uh, 
but that doesn't mean abolish it. I think that means reform it. Um, I mean, it doesn't carry a larger weight. It's just that the swing states have split votes. I mean, look at look at Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan right now. No, but you said yourself that the that the North North Carolina fifty fifty would uh, Texas fifty two forty eight. I mean, would essentially have uh, a greater voice uh, in terms of policymaking. So why are you why are you suggesting that uh, people in less populated areas should have a, a larger weight? attached to their vote versus somebody who lives in a populated area i'm not saying they should be no, why why is their weight not no i'm not like saying that they should have else. a larger weight i'm saying they should have a weight the difference i think because if their weight the is the one majority. like everyone else in the country then they will get completely ostracized i mean my my concerns living in I'm new not jersey are anything. not this i'm just saying no, tally up the the, votes, you're assuming right? that the majority is a and homogeneous population. And it's you're not. saying that these people in the I'm just saying if, uh, if you know Midwestern if you're talking if you're talking about a, should get uh, their voices magnified by some weight n, right? Why should their vote get magnified by this weight? Well, well, let's not kid ourselves. Their their voice isn't magnified. It's weighted. It's weighted the same way as the coasts. It's just that there are certain – the problem with the electoral college is that it allows for swing states to be uh, – to determine more than it probably should. That's, that's the issue. The issue isn't with the Connecticut uh, – the Kentuckys or the, the Arkansas of the world. The issues are with the, uh, the swing states, Pennsylvania's, the Ohio's. That's, that's where the issue is. That's where the, the change of the electoral college needs to happen. Um, so, I mean, I must uh, – the Arkansas and the Kentuckys of the world, I mean, they will always be – the four and five electoral colleges that they have currently, uh, or whatever it is. Um, my my point is more, my my concerns as a citizen in New Jersey, is not going to be the same, as the concerns of a citizen, in Montana. And because of that, I believe, that they should have a voice. And if that voice needs to be, uh. uh kind of given in a different way than just one vote. I think it should be given in a different way than just one vote because at the end of the day, the coasts will say, hey, we want this, this, and this, and Montana doesn't need any of that. Yeah. Arkansas doesn't need any of that. Kentucky doesn't need any of that. So that's kind of why I understand the electoral So let, let's explain to our I'm not listeners. Saying, I'm not saying that the way it is is right at the moment, the but I'm saying I understand the reason so for it. Each state legislature has the authority to decide how – um, the, the electors who meet after the election, which is the Electoral College, will be chosen. So there's no built-in guarantee of having a popular vote for electors, and many states in the country's early decades did not use popular elections. The state legislator alone chooses electors. So this has evolved in the direction of having popular votes in each state, right? So that's the, uh, the popular vote that we all vote on November 3rd. It also... It has also evolved in the direction of having the state allocate electors on a winner-takes-all basis, which is also not in the Constitution. States can decide to apportion electors by district, as Nebraska and Maine uh, do, or proportionally in some other way. So the first step is the number of electoral votes that each state gets. The second step is how each state allocates these electoral votes. The third step, now in most states, is that there is a popular election. Right. And this year it will be on November 3rd. 
which is today. It has already happened. After that, the popular after that the popular election, um, the elect the electors in each state will meet in the state capital, assuming there are no disputes about who the electors are, and then these electors will uh, will pledge to a particular party and candidate. Those electors will cast their electoral votes in the state capitals, and those votes are then sent to Congress, uh, and they're counted in January. And Congress will officially decide who the winner of the election is. But there's a caveat here. It's a little bit unclear who in Congress decides. The votes are counted at a joint session of Congress, and there's room for disagreement about who in Congress gets to decide if there are disputes about the legitimacy of slates of electors. Now, what happens if no candidate wins a majority of the electoral votes? Well, in that case, um, a plurality winner is not allowed, right? And the election will immediately revert to the House of Representatives. In the House, each state delegation as a whole uh, gets one vote. So in that case, smaller states would have the same power as larger states. So that's basically how the Electoral College works. So now you were saying that you would want to reform the Electoral College yeah. such that smaller states would have a similar amount of power to larger states? Or were you talking about the populations of these states? No, no, no. I don't even think it necessarily has to be in the form of Electoral College. <laughs> My my point is that the the essence of the electoral college should be still taken into account no matter what happens after. If if the electoral college is abolished, the essence of it should still should still carry on. The 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 fact that these other states that don't necessarily have the same concerns as the larger states with larger populations that will probably carry the president every time um, should have the concerns heard. And my point is that if a if a president is elected by the majority rule and by popular vote, uh, the coasts and the large cities uh, will benefit and the smaller rural areas will not. And my point is that that should not happen. That's kind of my point. I don't really care if it's the electoral college. I don't care. My point is just that there should be a level of uh, a, a safety for those people, regardless of how... But isn't that essentially a, a I don't care about the, the I'm, I'm not wed to the electoral college idea. My point is just the essence of the electoral college. I mean, makes if the sense majority of people voted for a candidate, why do people from less populated states get to? Why is it a tyranny um, of minority? Sway that. Uh, it's, not, it's not that they're swaying it. It's just that um, we're not in a in a land where everyone has the same opportunities. So the same way um, that we look at demographics, we can look at. Uh, areas areas of uh well areas in the country uh, if you live in new york if you live in california if you live in new jersey if you live in texas you're going to have a lot more employment opportunities than if you live in arkansas if you live in uh, montana if you live in other areas you're going to have better education if you're on the coast you're going to have better education uh, uh health care you're going to have uh, better resources so if it's already like that now when they have a voice Imagine when they don't have a voice. I wouldn't even call it a voice now. I would say if they have uh, some weight um, to punch and to pack. Uh, so if that's the case now, imagine if they didn't. They would be, it would be even more of a decrepit state. And my point is 
that I agree. Uh, it, it, it does cause some sort of dissonance. But my point isn't that um, the majority should 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 uh, be hurt over the minority, but there should be there should still be a a a, a nod or a thought to the minority because they're still citizens. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't matter where they're living. They should have the right to the same level of education, the same level of uh, right. But uh, many of the these level things are decided of, by uh, other uh, things that people in the, in, in the coasts or in large right. cities. So this um, is like state have, funding for education, state funding from, why would it be drastically cut? But, but state, but state funding would be, but state funding would be drastically cut if it was if if it was general. Why population. would the coast get all the money? I the mean, coast we're, we're just out. talking about because voting the coast for make, uh, will get all the money because they're the ones who are voting for the presidency. But why why would why would I as a president? Um, bills. But think but think about but think about it logic because because think about it because think about it in a political sense. If I as the president know that if I win the coast, I win the presidency. Why would I not give the coast everything they want? Which includes healthcare, which That's includes money, point. which includes literally everything they want. Why, why wouldn't I do that in a political sense? So, mm -hmm. which 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 I think would happen, which means that the rural areas are then becoming even more decrepit than they already are. So that's where I want a safety net for these areas, so that that doesn't happen. If it has to be, listen, uh, you get X amount per population. Fine, whatever. That has to be in. That has to be an amendment. I don't. I mean, whatever. Whatever the actual, uh, whatever the actual um, process is at that time, or whatever is agreed upon, that's fine. But my point is that this needs to be considered if the electoral college is abolished, in a political sense. Because I think I think I agree with you. If if you're talking about no, it's just a population and everything stays the same. I uh, sorry, it's just a popular vote and everything stays the same. Okay, then I would say maybe that's fine. But everything won't stay the same. Um, we right, know but we do have the politics, Senate to check the funds the will go to the people who, the who hold the power and the people who right. hold the power on the coast. So each state is allocated and, and big to cities. senators, and the Senate basically gets to uh, um, give a yes or a no on bills that are being proposed from the House of Representatives, which is a proportional uh, body of, of legislators. So, so I, I think, I don't know, that's, from what that's I understand, the electoral college is... Um, is pretty much used that's for a the presidential election, right? Is there, is can someone uh, fact check me on this? No, you're right. You're right. That's 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 basically what. So this should not for. affect, I guess, the, um, the policies and bills that are being passed per se. That's fair. That's a fair point. Um, I think. Right, but the, I mean, the president is just it shouldn't, one branch. But of then I would question who the president is a president you know, checked for. Checked by the legislative branch and the. A judicial branch. Yeah, I mean, forgive, forgive me for not being. For oh no, being I mean, twenty twenty is the on, year of on the checks and balances so of, right of the U.S. <laughs> go in right today's, ahead. In today's in today's situation. <laughs> I just, I just don't necessarily see, I just don't necessarily see the checks and balances being as strong as I thought they were four years ago. Um, with with the with the level of uh, mismanagement, corruption, 
Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I know this happens in every, in every presidency. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying this is solely a Donald Trump issue. Um, but this was just so overt and so obvious and still is. Um, on a, on a, on a, con- on a congressional sense and then the way that the judicial system has been politicized uh, I'm just a bit cynical on, on what what that actually looks like if if a similar candidate were to run and only and got the popular vote on the coasts that they would not just try to push all the budget and money towards <laughs> things that the coasts need I don't know. That's I'm just I'm just I guess I'm playing a bit of uh, what ifs, and and I probably shouldn't do that too much. But I guess that's just kind of my uh, thought process um, in the electoral college. I think. What do you guys think? I think we should start uh, wrapping it up now. Uh, we're in on an hour and a half. Is there any final things you want to talk about? Um, just to give a quick update, since this is election night, we should probably talk about this a little bit yeah according to the associated press um joe biden is up 223 to 174 um yeah i mean this is associated press has called the entire west coast washington oregon california uh new mexico Colorado. Um, as of now dang it's a blowout have you seen california yeah it's almost 70 percent 68.1 percent for biden yeah that's not surprising at all and this is also the state that kind of voted uh, for Bernie, so they're pretty far left. <laughs> so they're not going to yeah, vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, not surprised by that. Um, um, I don't yeah, know. I'm, like, I'm curious like to know how much of the these, way they thought it would. Um, Nevada looks like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Yeah, but I'm, but Biden has a significant lead right now. I'm curious to see how the um, how the wow, the uncounted so votes that were submitted early would affect any of these states where Trump is supposedly leading. That they're that they might all that they might that there's still a good chance they'll flip. You mean? Oh, they yeah. they yeah. they they all will. That's kind of the issue now. Right. Yeah. And, Especially <clears throat> depending on where the, where in the which counties it is. Right now, I'm looking at yeah. Wisconsin, and the Milwaukee area oh, only wow, has yeah. about fifty percent of their ballots in, or at least yeah. counted. Um, which could be an extra. Do you think Trump is now going to flip and be like, "Oh no, we should how it shapes out, uh, which would, wait which would I mean, he's already. I think he's already tweeting um, about it. I, I checked his Twitter. Um, he hasn't really tweeted anything. It'd be, yeah, it's, he didn't tweet anything. At least not since I last checked. Yeah, that's all he tweeted. He said that he said like we're doing really well, but is he, I checked it too. Yeah, I think oh, he man. just said thank you for the support or something like that. Oh, he said, and he also said, oh, yeah, I'm making a big statement." Oh, he just did. We are big, but they're I mean, trying to steal the election. He, he said that if the votes are not counted the by today, then the Democrats are rigging the election. I mean, he's been I saying this past statement. like week. Yeah, I mean, of course he's going to do. It. I mean, did we? I don't think I expected anything short of that. Wow. I can't believe he's actually doing yeah, it. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. He looked like he was not really expecting he, uh, this to go well for him. He was saying he was taking tone, a more somber tone, though, earlier but, um, today. Yeah, I think COVID was. COVID basically got him. Yeah, he definitely would have uh, won the election without. Um, if he had handled COVID better. I mean, he could still win. I'm not saying he lost. I mean, the, yeah, Arizona's still too close to. I'm actually to surprised that Joe Arizona Biden could flip. 
Yeah. I mean, it I'm looks like he might Joe still Biden pull it out. Electoral votes as he does, to be honest. Yes, Philly and Pittsburgh also haven't been counted yet. I mean, the thing is, right now, Philly wow. is still Pennsylvania playing, is leaning Trump, which means that's Again, another that's of, another two hundred right, half a million votes, depending on how it goes. Really haven't um, reported much yet. Allegheny is still yeah, and those still are huge play. Uh, swinging factors. Yeah. Yeah, Philly's just fifty percent, and Pittsburgh is just twenty-five or thirty percent, which is another yeah, which is another three hundred, four hundred thousand. Which I mean, this is this is kind of going towards his uh, the whole plan to begin with that all these yeah. states were going to be. I didn't expect play, this many states to be uh, called, for days uh, tonight. So, uh, like the West Coast, yeah, we'll see what's going to happen now. Arizona has not been called yet. Um, we're still waiting on Nevada. Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Alaska. We don't have any results from Alaska yet. Did the polls close in Alaska? Alaska's Alaska's not even showing any uh, results yet. Wait, why was Hawaii called? I mean, that's going to be red. Hawaii. It says 0% reporting. how, How can they call this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're just assuming it already. Go ahead. <laughs> For, so, just to give you guys some perspective, Philly. I think Trump was right, folks. Election uh, fraud. They called Hawaii with zero percent reporting. Right. Yo, you, oh, you yes. know, you know, people actually believe that, though, right? That just because they called it, there, it's a, it's, a, it's fraud. Yeah, like they called Virginia, yeah. and they're like, "Why are they calling right. Virginia? He's winning." It's like because yeah. when you look at the counties that are it's in, and if he's not winning by a certain yeah. amount, so then listen, he so Philadelphia, yeah. right? It's so at forty-six percent. It. It's not that hard reported, to So it's not even halfway yet. And Trump, I mean, Biden is already leading. He's got seventy-four percent of the vote. So that that's a huge. Right, exactly, and that's a huge. Yeah, and and that seventy four percent is is basically two hundred thousand. It's the same story exactly. Yeah. So he can so win another two hundred, two hundred twenty, two hundred thirty thousand. If it continues in that trend. And then Pittsburgh is the same story. All right. Well, thank you guys uh, for being here. We'll uh, pick up on our next episode. Hopefully, uh, I think we'll we'll be doing a short a short episode on the. The, the podcast, what the point of it is, what we're trying to accomplish. So we'll, maybe we'll do that one in a couple of weeks or something since it's going to be a short one. But our next real episode on our next topic, which will be yet to be determined, we'll try to aim for early December. So first week of December, we'll try to maybe do episodes in the early weeks of every month. So once a month at this point. Uh, so stay tuned. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Ahmed and Kareem. Thank uh, you, guys. This was Mayo. fun. This was a blast. And yes. to our listeners, Ma Salami.